This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles, with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, Go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Good morning. Uh, My name is Sean Cook. I probably know everybody. I am uh, kind of by nature one of those people that thinks a stranger is just a friend I hadn't met yet. Uh, If I've been in your class, you know I like to talk a lot. Uh, So you would think that that would give me a great oratory voice, but I I don't have one. Um, I wish I had a Charlton Heston voice. That would be fun. But it turns out Moses actually didn't have a Charlton Heston voice either. Uh, And uh, as I read scripture, maybe I'm reading myself into the text. I look at, I think Paul maybe admired Apollos for his speaking ability. Uh, Did I just compare myself to Moses and Paul? I I guess I did. I'm not very good at being humble either. (laughs) So today we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 11. I promise not to preach the entire chapter. Um, This is a verse or a chapter, particularly the cursing of the fig tree. That was a very difficult passage for me for a long time. And so when they asked me, would you preach... I said yes, and I immediately knew this is the verse I wanted to go to because I worked, really dealt with it, tried to understand it for a long, long time. Um, since, since I was a small child, I struggled with it. Um, so the, the message, the title of my message today is called Failed Fig Tree and Failed Hermeneutics because I certainly applied a lot of failed hermeneutics to this passage during my lifetime. Um, I want to read two verses from Second Timothy real quickly, just kind of as to have in the back of your mind. I look at and remember these passages every time I look at Scripture. You're familiar with both of them? The first is Second Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we're called here to do. That's why we're in school. That's what we're learning to do. The second is, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Continues in 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means even the passages that we find difficult, the long genealogies that seem to go on forever, and we don't know who those people are, they're there for a reason. So, uh, if you'll look in uh, Mark... Chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. It says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, he being Jesus, and seen in the distance a fig tree, and he went to it to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard it. The fig tree story continues in verse 20. It says, as they passed by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, 
Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt it in his heart but believes, what he says it will come to pass and it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything uh, against anyone so that your father will also forgive you. It's really an odd passage. When we read about Jesus in the Bible, he's healing people, he's feeding people, he's not around cursing things, killing things. That seems odd. And so it was a difficulty for me. I was like, what in the world is this story here for? Of all the things that Mark could have recorded about Jesus, why did he record this passage? That just seems strange. I want to tell you a story. Uh, about a tree that's called the death apple. It's commonly found in Florida. It's also found in the Caribbean. And I'm just going to read this because uh, I won't remember all the information. But essentially, if you're in the Caribbean, Central America, um, they have a tree. It's, it's got coastal leaves. It's very pretty. It's got this apple-looking fruit. It's very green. It looks really pleasant. It looks like you should want to eat it. Um, but you don't want to eat of this tree. Uh, if you were just to touch the tree, your hand would become covered with burning blisters. Uh, if you ate the fruit, you could die. If you stand under the tree when it rains, the water that comes off the leaves will, will burn your skin. Um, if you get any of that in your eye, you'll be temporarily blinded. Um, so although it looks pretty, the tree is quite deadly. Uh, in Spanish, the tree is called, uh, and please forgive my Spanish here, La Manzilla de la Muerte, which really means the apple of death. Uh, all parts of this tree are poisonous. The um, Aboriginal people of the Caribbean, they'll actually dip their arrows into this tree and, and use it uh, when they kill things. They say that uh, Ponce de Leon was actually killed in this way. Um, when they wanted to torture their enemies, they would literally tie them to the tree uh, and just wait for the tree to do its work on them. And so, I mean, this is just a, a horrible tree. You would think, well, why don't people just cut these things down and burn them? Well, if you burn them, they give off a very poisonous gas. It will cause you to choke. Your eyes will burn. Um, I mean, you just want to stay away from this tree. And uh, so most people, they put up big red X. That just means get away from it, or they, they put up signs. Just try to avoid them. And, uh, you know, I thought, if I were Jesus, I'd go curse that tree. That tree's not very useful. But that isn't what Jesus did here. Um, I don't know if y'all have seen, uh, I've got my truck out there, and someone just asked me today, Sean, why do you have a ladder on top of it? Well, I do computer work, and sometimes I have to climb up on that ladder. When my two-year-old son saw it, he said, Daddy, you made a fire truck. And I was <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I'll keep that in mind for a minute. But the first time I encountered this passage, I was uh, 12 years old. I just started reading the Bible. And uh, the story to me was completely shocking. Kind of like I said, this just didn't sound like the Jesus that I was familiar with. And uh, so I did what most students of the Bible do when they're 12. I just ignored it and moved on. I, uh, I ran into this passage again when I was 16 years old. And why I remember those dates and how old it was, I don't know. I didn't realize that the verses were that significant, but apparently they were. 
And uh, when I was 16, I typically used the hermeneutic that's called a whatever strikes me method. Uh, maybe you all are familiar with it. So I was trying to read these passages. And I'm looking at Jesus, and he's, he's cursing this fig tree. And at a time in my spiritual development, um, you know, I was one of those kids that was praying the sinner's prayer every night when I went to bed, waiting for the magic to kick in. And uh, as I read it, I decided that it must mean that uh, don't make God mad or he'll get you. <laughs> and uh, I did uh, what I always do. I just ignored it and moved on. There's plenty of other passages to read. But then I was forced to look at this passage again while I was, uh, I'm one of these people, if I get on Facebook or I get on the internet, if there's a fight to be fought, uh, I'm going to do it. I'm guilty. I have to disagree with everyone. But there were these rantings of this atheist, and he addressed these verses. And he complained about how terrible Jesus was, and that he could never follow such a short-tempered, hot-headed egomaniac like Jesus Jesus knew it wasn't the season for figs, and yet he cursed it anyway. You know, what kind of guy would do that? And I really wanted to argue with the guy, and I didn't have an answer prepared. I knew that somehow he was wrong. So I did what most people do when they don't know how to win an argument. I attacked the atheist. I uh, said, you know, what kind of person is concerned about first century trees? Uh, Where's your anger against abortion? You know, attacking his sense of morality doesn't really help me solve the problem in this text. I don't think I helped him uh, find Jesus either with that argument. But uh, one of the things the atheist said, he said, you know, if Jesus really wanted to prove himself here, why didn't he just throw a mountain into the sea? That'd be a permanent reminder. We'd all look at that mountain sitting in the sea and go, oh, Jesus did it, there it is, hard to argue with him. Jesus didn't do it. Great, now I had two dilemmas to resolve. Why Jesus folks uh, curse this tree and how come there's no mountain in the ocean? The fig tree and the mountain, he went on to explain. Then Jesus threw another temper tantrum in the temple. Now I have three problems to resolve. No problem. I thought smarter people than me can help me understand this text. So I pulled out some commentaries, I browse the internet because it's always full of great information and uh, I found out from a lot of people that these verses were all about faith and about prayer and apparently if you have enough faith you can curse people and uh, throw your problems, called mountains into the sea didn't seem very helpful didn't work for me but it gave me a reason to leave that text and move on But the questions kept bothering me. What in the world is this text about? Because I'm pretty certain it's not about cursing people. I'm pretty certain it's not just about prayer, even though prayer does seem to be related, and it seems to be here. And so I started struggling. Why is this story here? Uh, John wrote in his gospel that Jesus did more things than could ever be recorded in any book. And so why, why this? Why is it here? I love science, and I thought, why didn't Mark record something useful? Like, why didn't Jesus tell us what the three laws of motion and the rules of thermodynamics are? You know, he could have gone ahead and given us calculus. We wouldn't have to wait for Isaac Newton to do it. And I would admit that maybe calculus wasn't that beneficial to first century Jews, but 
Maybe some herbal remedies. That's something they could have taken advantage of. You know, why, why is that not recorded? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 is why. See, all scripture is good for teaching us. It's for spiritual things. What the Bible has to say is far more important than the laws of thermodynamics. So I read the Bible again. And as I was reading through the Bible, I knew these verses would be coming up. And honestly, I just didn't have a great solution. So I read it again. And again. And again. Though whatever hits me hermeneutic just wasn't helping here. So I decided to deploy some of our observation techniques. I'd actually run into those before here, but they're the same techniques. And so I thought, well, I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure this out. I said, okay, who's the author? I was like, Mark is the author. And what do I know about Mark? Well, Mark got most of his information from Peter. And so... What do I know about Peter? Peter's an apostle. He traveled with Jesus. He's always saying stupid stuff. <laughs> Maybe it's Peter's fault this is in here. <laughs> and so I was reading Max Lucado at the time, and Max Lucado is great because he, uh, he really helps you understand and explains the humanity of Christ. And so I was contemplating things like, what was it like for Mary to put a Band-Aid on Jesus' knee when he fell down? Um... You know, did Jesus like Mary's soup? What's it like for God to eat your soup? Thinking about the very realistic human nature of Jesus. I was like, I've got it. Peter gave us this because Peter does dumb stuff, and he wanted us to know that everybody does dumb stuff. (laughs) Jesus was hungry. He got mad at the tree. He got mad at the temple. Next thing you know, you've got a bad Snickers commercial. (laughs) Jesus just needed a snack. Of all the things I've ever been sure of, I'm really, really sure that's not the message. (laughs) But I thought about what this atheist had done. See, every time I'd ever heard these verses preached, there's the triumphal entry, there's the cursing of the fig tree, there's the message about the temple, Jesus um, has this conversation about John the Baptist and where his authority came from, and they're always separate. This atheist had put the entire chapter together, which is odd that no preacher had done that, seeing how it's a, a single chapter. Seems pretty obvious. So I thought about it. The triumphal entry. It's in the, he goes to the temple. You have the fig tree. You have reference to the temple. The mountain. He's back in the temple. The whole story is about the temple. It starts and ends with the temple. So let's back up from verse 12 and look at verse 11 for just a minute. It says, And he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And I started wondering, what did he see in the temple? What happened there? And scripture doesn't tell us right away. We're going to have to deduct that when we get later in the text. But something happens in the temple that's going to prompt Jesus to do what he's doing. So the next morning, he sees this tree from a distance. Now the question becomes, as some atheists have raised, well, if Jesus is God, how come he didn't know that that tree was barren, that it didn't have fruit? And some Christians stood up and said, well, that was the divine prerogative. He didn't want to know. I don't 
really think that's the truth. I think Jesus knew before he got to that tree it was going to be barren. Um, See, I don't think this verse is all about Jesus' humanity. I think it's about his authority. It's about the temple, and it's about hypocrisy. Jesus didn't do anything without a purpose. He knew that tree would be barren because it was not the season. I think he wanted it to be the season. I think he was hungry. The triumphal entry certainly made it look like this was the season for Israel. The tree looked ready. It had leaves. The people praised Jesus as he came in. But they were looking for a political leader. And that's not what Jesus came to do. The fig tree in scripture, uh, if you've read very much, you'll find out pretty quickly that it represents Israel. It represents the temple. It represents the leadership. The temple was meant to be a place of worship. But yet it had become a den of robbers is what Jesus said. One of the commentaries that I was reading, it said that the Gentile court uh, towards the the end in in the first century had actually been converted for selling pigeons, uh, for selling birds. It was supposed to be a place where the Gentiles could go and worship God, and yet it was a place that was nasty. I've raised pigeons. I've had chickens. Uh, They're just disgusting creatures. And that's what was in the temple. And I don't know if you know this, but the pigeons were there for the poor. If you were rich and you had money, you would buy a sheep for your sacrifice. If you didn't have enough money, you bought a pigeon. So these people are here. They're selling pigeons. They're ripping off the poor. There were a lot of preachers and commentators who, again, tried to say that this was about faith. And if you just believe hard enough, you can get whatever you want. I needed some better advice. John Calvin comments, Christ intends to present in this tree an outward sign of the end which awaits hypocrites, and at the same time to expose the emptiness and folly of their ostination. Jesus curses the fig tree in the context of his teaching on hypocrisy. He casts out the temple merchants who exploit others while claiming to serve God. And you see that in Matthew's version of this. John Calvin was a big help here for me. And I started to realize the context. So the fig tree was a sign to the disciples to understand that the curse was going to come upon the temple, the religious leadership. The temple was supposed to be a blessing to the whole world, but instead God's religion had become a business. The church being a business is so common today, we make jokes about it. We point at the hypocrites who are running their rip-off schemes and we laugh at them. They're laughing too, all the way to the bank. So what's the deal with the fig tree? Uh, My neighbor has a fig tree. That thing is green all year round. It has figs one month out of the whole year. Well, this is Texas. It's not Israel. Apparently the fig trees there, um, they have two seasons. They have a spring season, which comes early, and then they have a later season. And apparently this fig tree doesn't put on any leaves until the figs are also coming out. So the tree gave the appearance that it was going to have fruit. The leaves promised food. They promised life, but the promises were empty. This tree was probably pretty. may have provided some shade. Maybe you could cover yourself with a fig leaf, but there's no fruit here. The tree was a hypocrite. 
It was pronouncing one thing and not providing. In our churches, we have leaves. We have messages about improving your marriage, financial freedom, great music, great fun, great programs. Leaves are nice. They're pretty. They're attractive. They draw in the masses. Nobody wants to go to an old scraggly tree. But we're not called to run a business except the business of saving souls, encouraging the sheep, bringing honor to God. But instead, too many pastors are focused on honoring themselves and honoring their checkbooks. As a missionary, I have a desire to help people and to meet their physical needs. It's one of the things that I've noticed if you've ever been to, a, uh, to another country, uh, especially if you get outside of uh, the, the wealthier countries and go to a third world country, you start to see how much poverty there really is. And it gives you a new definition of poverty. Now, on my first two mission trips, I really struggled with what can I do to help these people with their financial situation. When I'm here, I work with the homeless. I go to Tent City. I work with some poor people, and all they really want is some toilet paper and some toothpaste. Pretty simple things. And I love meeting those needs. But ultimately, those are leaves. Toilet paper has a very limited use as far as eternal value goes. Only the fruit matters. Our question is, are the masses fed the word of God? If I improve their lives with leaves, I only make the world a better place to go to hell from. Only the gospel is going to save their their eternal soul. You know, Jesus didn't curse every tree. Were there worse trees than this fig tree? How about the death apple tree? Why didn't Jesus curse those trees? This tree was off the road, probably wild. It wasn't part of anyone's vineyard. So why did he pick on this tree? This is the one he cursed. You know, he could have cursed the mesquite tree. That thing's not any good for anything but barbecue. (laughs) Are there other religions whose fruit are full of death? There are. But you know what? Jesus didn't curse those other religions. Israel has always been surrounded by false gods, lying prophets with deadly fruit. But Jesus cursed hypocrisy, not the false religions here. Jesus cursed the tree that promised good fruit, spiritual life, but delivered nothing. As preachers, we have the responsibility to give our listeners the message of the Word of God. I looked at one place one day while I was preparing this message. I saw a message on bullying. I saw a sermon actually about the song Amazing Grace. I saw messages, of course, about finances, emotions, personal relationships. And maybe they were biblical. I don't know. I didn't listen to them. Maybe they were just psychobabble. I was extremely happy when I saw Alistair Begg had a message on true discipleship. And Tony Evans had a message from his Kingdom Living series. Paul said he only preached Christ crucified. And then he wrote First and Second Corinthians. So I'm not suggesting that we can't have messages that are about something other than the death and resurrection of Christ. But it's all got to come from the Bible. Or what are we talking about? Our sermons are not to be our opinions or the pop story or the message of the day. What else are we going to give people? Jesus said that man shall live not by bread alone, but by the word of God. Jesus is the life and the truth, and no man comes to the Father except through him. What else are we going to say that's more important than that? More interesting? More relevant? Do we think we need clever stories and human philosophy? No. We need God's word in our lives. 
People come to church because they want something different. There's plenty of Oprah Winfrey on the TV without us repeating it. My heart's desire and my prayer is that I never become good at the insignificant. I never want to excel at the unimportant. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he wasn't cleansing it so he could reinstitute it. He wasn't recommissioning it. He cleaned it up enough to teach. And then he left. He was done with it. He told the fig tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And in 70 AD, that temple got destroyed. And it was done. It says in Jesus' message here, it's, it's very, very short. Um, if you look in verse 17, it says, And he was teaching them, and he said to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. It says the people were amazed at his preaching. He said two sentences. Now, I don't think his whole sermon was the two sentences. I have a feeling that was probably his two points. Uh, What he referenced there comes from Isaiah. That his house was to be a house of prayer. Jesus was pointing out their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy refers to the act of claiming to be something, but acting in a different manner. The word is derived from the Greek word for actor. Literally one who wears a mask. In other words, someone who pretends to be one thing that he's not. The Bible calls hypocrisy a sin. And there's two forms of hypocrisy. One is saying one thing and then doing another. And the other is looking down upon someone when you yourself are flawed. The religious leaders were doing both. The prophet Isaiah condemned hypocrisy in his day. He said, the Lord says, these people come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of rules taught by men. God doesn't like hypocrisy in his church. He didn't like it in his temple. God destroyed his own temple for his own people, and he used the Babylonians to do it. After it was rebuilt and he brought them back, he warned the priests in the book of Malachi that he would shut the doors if they didn't get things straight, and I guess they listened for a while. But in 70 AD, he destroyed his own temple scattered his own people, those people called by his own name, because they had become spiritually barren. They were to be a light to the world, but instead they were self-centered and exclusive, repulsive to the Gentiles. We're not all that much better. Think about the church of Ephesus. If ever there was a great church, this was it. It was founded by Paul, led by Timothy. It became the center of Christianity. It was pastored by John the Apostle. And yet Jesus warned in the book of Revelation through John, that if he failed to share to shine the light, he would take away their lampstand. Where's the church of Ephesus at today? Your church is not too big to fail, and you're not so important that God cannot replace you. So what about this mountain being thrown into the sea? The text is very clear. If you actually read it, He says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Did Jesus say we could throw any mountain into the sea? No, he didn't. He said this mountain. What mountain is he talking about? Where is he at when he said it? He's in the temple. It's a temple mount. Be taken up and thrown into the sea. Truly I tell you, The temple was thrown into the sea of the Gentiles. 
and it was trampled underfoot. It's going to be that way until the time of the Gentiles is over. So God was going to destroy his temple. When Jesus says something, it's important. His words created the universe and everything in it. His word is never powerless, and it never returns to him void. What can we come up with that's better than the Bible? The Bible tells us how to make the Lord our maker happy, how to bring him joy. It tells us of a God who loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, while we were here as enemies, he sent his son to die for us and for our sins. He paid our penalty. He chose us from among the masses to be his. He loved us. He bought us. And he freed us and gave us eternal life. What story is better than that? What drama are you going to tell? In Luke, there's another fig tree story. The owner, he didn't have a wild fig tree in this case. He had a garden of fig trees. And he found it barren and he wanted to destroy it. But the manager asked the owner for patience. He asked, let me prune the trees, let me take care of the trees, and let's see if it produces fruit. Let me give it a little bit more time, another chance. But who's going to bring mercy when the fig tree still produces no fruit? I tell you, the axe will swing and the tree will be burned if it still fails to produce. Don't look at the trees that are getting away with fruitlessness. Instead, instead, fear the manager who's giving you one more chance. Remember my fire truck? Um, I thought about that and what David had said. See, he didn't really understand what fire trucks do. He just saw a ladder, said fire truck. But I thought, so what if I painted my truck red, put some lights on it, go to Walmart and buy one of those plastic fireman hats, and I showed up at a fire at your house. (laughs) What good is my truck going to do with no water? I would suggest you would be pretty disappointed with me. I know one of our... Rules from preaching class was don't ever use a be or a don't be phrase. I'm going to go ahead and break the rule. Don't be a leafy tree with no fruit. I'm going to end with an exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy. Right after 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, I'm sorry, in uh, chapter 4, says, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, extort, and complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Lord God, I just pray that as pastors, teachers, missionaries, that we would not be fruitless trees, Lord. I just pray that we would present your word, present it with authority, with confidence. Lord, that we wouldn't look for other ways, because you have provided the way. And Lord, I just pray that all that we do would bring glory to you. Amen.